It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coach Unplugged is brought to you by great people over at teachhoops.com. For coaches who want to get better, from the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. Here is your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 88 of Coach Unplugged. Um, We really appreciate you joining us today and taking time to spend some uh, some jogging time or commuting time or whatever it is to, to learn a little bit more about the great game of basketball. And today we have Brian McCormick on. Great interview with Brian. He just he's such a cerebral coach. He thinks he thinks the game at, at, at such a different level than all of us. And but before we get to that, before we get to, to Brian's interview, I want to say that if you're a coach and you're looking this time of year to broaden your craft to become a better coach. It is the sole reason I started teachhoops.com was to make a resource for coaches that could allow them to become a better coach. And you will not find a better deal. You know, if you've gone on anything and tried to buy a DVD recently or a book or something, you're spending 30, 40, 50 bucks for one resource. In our library alone, we have 55 Hall of Fame coaches um, that and players and former players and, and, and high school coaches and people all over that, that will allow you to become a better coach. They'll give you some of those things. And I can tell you right now at teach hoops, we're working on courses for this, for this upcoming um, late summer and fall that are going to be dealing with, um, they're going to be dealing with weight training. They're going to be dealing with practice planning. They're going to be dealing with um, uh, what am I forgetting? Weights. They're going to be ever picking an offense, all those kind of things. Um, and I can, and I'll, and I'll delve into a little secret at this point. Prices are going to be going up in the fall. Um, but if you get in now, you'll be stuck for the lifetime of your membership. It won't go up. And I'm going to give you a special little coupon code, save 10, which will allow you to save 10% on a lifetime of your membership. So every month you'll get 10% off and it will never go up as long as you stay a member of teachhoops.com. So I'm going to ask you to go over and check that out. Um, and I would also ask, no matter what you're listening to, go over and subscribe and like, please leave a review. We, we love the reviews. Um, you know, give us your input. Tell us what we're doing well and what we're not doing well and, and how we can improve and, and uh, where we can kind of, what road we need to walk down. So here's Brian. All right. Welcome to Coach Unplugged. 
Um, I don't even, I'm not even going to guess what episode we're on. Um, I gave up that a long time ago, but I'm very happy to have Brian McCormick. And usually I have to have people pronounce their, um, their names, but that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty easy one. <laughs> and my mom's maiden name is McCormick. So no one cracked my, uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so so it's a small world, so that one was easy. Um, so what I'm going to do, Brian, is I'm going to turn it over to you. And usually what we do is very conversational at the beginning. Um, I would, you know, you kind of sent me a resume, but what I would like to do is hear about your basketball journey, kind of how it started. You know, you had, you've had a lot of, uh, of different twists and, and turns that, that most people have had. So um, if you could go and just kind of explain that, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think I kind of always knew I wanted to be a coach. My dad was my coach when I was uh, elementary school. Uh, he coached most of my sports, but especially basketball and baseball. Uh, and then I remember back like in second grade or third grade, uh, I read um, They Call Me Coach by John Wooden for a book report because um, my dad was a big UCLA fan, um, you know, before I was born. Um, and so somehow I'm pretty sure he told me to read that book or something, or I went to the library and looked for basketball books and somehow found that one. And I kind of wanted to be a coach from that point. Um, and so, you know, like most coaches I played and I only played in high school. And then, um, I ended up after, uh, high school, I spent a year as an exchange student in, in Europe, um, and in Sweden and it just happened, you know, there was a team in my town, um, you know, and so I ended up playing on that team, the second division team and the under-19 team in my town. Um, and ultimately, I also ended up coaching. And so I, I started coaching an under-15 boys team. Uh, and this was, you know, in 1996, it was the middle of the war in the Balkans. And I had a number of uh, recent refugees on my team from uh, both both sides of the conflict. And then I also had a few that were semi-recent refugees from, uh, you know, the Iraq war, um, the first Iraq war um, in the early 90s. Um, so, so, you know, one, my Swedish was terrible. Uh, two, two, their English was for most of them was their third or even fourth language and Swedish was even their, you know, second or third language. Um, so I was lucky there were, there were one or two, um, you know, kind of for each, you know, ethnic group almost, there were one or two players who spoke a little bit better English, but most of my coaching, it was done through them and, and they would then translate, you know, into their language, um, you know, and then a lot was obviously with demonstrations. Um, and so, so I did that and, and, and that enjoyed you, it. That makes you a better teacher. I'm telling you, I, my, one of my first classes teaching, I'm a math teacher. One of my first classes teaching, okay. I had most of my students didn't speak English at all, like zero, like they, they were Hmong, um, and they didn't oh, speak yeah, English. Yeah. So it was, it was one of those, like, you know, how do you get what you need across to them? It's, um, it makes you a better teacher because it makes you think outside the box a little bit. Definitely. And I, uh, I've written about another experience actually, you know, similarly to that. Um, years later I was working, um, at a camp and then probably two years after the camp, um, I had a JV girls team and I, and in both situations I had girls who were deaf on my team. Oh. <laughs> and, um, 
having having um, you know a girl on your team who can't hear changes how you instruct. Yeah, um, it does. You know, it, 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 it's you, it's crazy because I played I played college basketball and we played Gallaudet, which is the deaf school okay, in yeah, yeah. DC. For sure, and it was it was. And we went there to play. It was one of, as a player, it was a unique thing because it was so quiet. You know, <laughs> pregame was quiet. It was just, it was an interesting, and then how the coach was able to communicate to get things. I mean, we ended up losing the game too. I remember that vividly. But go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But oh, uh, no worries. But it just, it makes you realize how often, uh, you know, as a coach, you're kind of yelling. And just yelling, not with not without making sure that the player is really actually paying attention to you, um, right. you know, because you can assume, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, we yell and we assume that they're hearing us. And if they don't change or whatever, they're just ignoring what we have to say. Um, but, I, I, but you know, coaching in this, you know, situation and environment, you know, you really I, I had to make sure you know, with both players, they could read lips. So I had to make sure that they were actually facing me and I had eye contact before I even bothered, you know, to instruct. And so there'd be times, you know, she'd be running down the court and I'd be ready to, you know, uh, you know, try to give her feedback or yell something at her or get her to change her position or get her to notice that there was, you know, somebody behind her that she didn't see or, you know, whatever it was. Right. And I was like, oh, well, she's, not going to hear me you know there's no sense and i need to find better ways to uh communicate you know especially with her but also with all players um so anyway back to the story so yeah so i did that in europe then i went to college i ended up coaching through most of um uh, my four years of college i actually started with special olympics and then moved to you know cyo aau high school and then ultimately when i graduated i started as a college assistant coach and uh, I was kind of, um, and this is why the um, exchange student experience becomes relevant, is uh, I was kind of, I looked at it and I, I realized, you know, if I was going to be a college assistant coach or a college coach, I was going to spend years and years and probably decades as an assistant coach before I ever got to be a head coach. And I really wanted to be a head coach. Uh, and I was applying for high school head coaching jobs, but they kept telling me I was too young. And <laughs> yeah. so I. I emailed, um, I emailed my old coach in Sweden, and I was like, man, you know, how do I get a job in Europe? And he's like, well, I don't know, email all the clubs and see if anybody, you know, has the job open. Right. And so I emailed, I emailed all the clubs in Sweden, um, and I, uh, uh, one of them emailed back. And we exchanged, uh, you know, 40 or 50 um emails over the course of probably two months and eventually uh, they offered me the job and so I moved back to Sweden to a different town um, and coached uh, women's um, you know I guess their version of professional league the highest league highest women's league in Sweden and uh, you know so I had that opportunity um, and but basically I, I you know was able to get that job more or less because I asked for it right. and they didn't and they never asked how old I was um, and so when I stepped off the plane, they, I think were a little stunned, um, that they had managed to hire somebody so young, uh, to be their head coach. Cause I had half, at least half my team was older than me. Right. Um, and I was, I was 25 at the time. And my, my oldest player on the team was 41. My youngest player was 17. So <laughs> at a huge age, 
Right. Um, you know, and it was just, I mean, it was a pretty unique experience. It was, it was fun. Uh, you know, I was actually on an island in the middle of the Baltic Sea, um, Gotland, and coached the Visby ladies and um, did okay. Um, and then I came back and I thought, you know, I was, I actually coached in the all-star game there. And so I um, met some young players who were trying to come to the States to go to college. And so I figured if I left there and came back, you know, with these contacts and having been a head coach and stuff, I'd be, now I'd be able to get, you know, a, a better college assistant position, you know, and, and so I talked to some D1 coaches and nothing ever worked out. And so that's when I started doing a lot of skills training, um, you know, with players um, in between jobs. And that's also the skill training led me to watch a couple other skill trainers, one of whom I knew when I was a player, when I was young and to see some of the things that they were doing in terms of plyometrics and so forth, jump training. Right. And I intuitively knew what they were doing was wrong, or at least what they were saying they were doing wasn't what they were actually doing, but I didn't know why. And that's one of the reasons that I um, pursued a master's degree and then also got uh, my CSCS um, around that time. Uh, and then from, from then I've you know kind of alternated between coaching high school um, you know, I've been overseas, you know, twice more since then. I've done clinics all over the world, um, you know, and then spent some time as strength and conditioning coach and a couple of different things. And I've been a personal trainer. I've taught spinning classes. Um, you know, I now I'm a college soccer referee as well. And and uh, yesterday was officially hired uh, to be a junior college women's basketball head coach. Okay. So, Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Well, thanks. Um, so, yeah, so, I, so, and then you did your PhD. What did you do your PhD in? I did exercise and sports science. And what was your I thesis on? I actually wrote my, so um, I did, I had an option of doing a what they call three-paper right. um, dissertation. And so my three papers, one was on, um, kind of specific basketball defense. So I looked at the difference between a hip turn um, and a drop step okay. on a simple change of direction task. One was on a six-week plyometrics training program, so looking at the difference between doing all frontal plane plyometrics versus all sagittal plane plyometrics. And then the third one was kind of a weak correlational study, kind of looking at um, the same ideas, how, how – plane of movement affects the correlation between power reactive strength and strength. Okay. So can, can, can a kid, can a kid improve his vertical by doing plyometrics or is that not the way to go? Yes, they can. And, 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 and is it, is it a fast switch, a slow twitch kind of thing, or is it a muscle thing or a strength thing or. It's all of the above. Okay. Um, and it, in terms of, of, how you're using the plyometrics, uh, it depends on exactly, you know, what type of exercise you're doing. And so then you get in somewhat into semantics because uh, what a, a lot of the exercises that we think of as being plyometrics um, wouldn't fit with the strict definition of plyometrics from its original source. Okay. Uh, so if you're, you know, um, you know, if I'm standing on the ground and I'm jumping onto a box, Right. And then I'm going to step up and I'm going to jump on the box again. Right. Um, technically, technically, that's jump training. That's not plyometrics because you're not using um, 
the you know the kind of the shock training or the the um, a real uh, benefit from the stretch shortening cycle. There's you know if you're using counter movement, you are to an extent, but not to the extent you know that one would say it's plyometric. So and that was one of the things I looked at in my uh, in my dissertation is um, the reactive strength index. And so that's basically if you were doing let's say you were standing on one box and you were going to step off, land on the ground, and then jump onto a second box. Right. Um, so a depth, a depth jump. Um, and so the reactive strength index then would look at your height of your jump divided by your ground contact time. Okay. And so within the literature regarding plyometrics um, and the stretch shortening cycle, uh, fast, um, stretch shortening cycle would be uh, less than 250 seconds uh, ground contact time, milliseconds, sorry, 250 right. milliseconds ground contact time. Um, and uh, some people would even say more 150 to 200 milliseconds, that 250 is even too slow. Um, but typically 250 is used as the cutoff. And so over that would be, um, you know, the slow stretch shortening cycle. So, uh, you know, so there's different ways to improve and there's and uh, depending on the training that you're doing you can attack um, different parts of the force velocity curve and you know see benefits you know whether uh, you know you're working on your max force or you're working you know on the end on your uh, you know max speed or somewhere in between right. um, to a certain extent you know especially with a younger athlete improving any of that is going to improve a vertical jump Right. Uh, and, know, and it's almost like some of them are doing it too young, in my opinion, because their bodies aren't even strong enough or mature enough to be able to. Is there an age in which this should start? Yeah. So that's that's another one of the kind of debates. And, and so to a certain extent, I agree. And to a certain extent, I disagree. So I agree because to get a true benefit from true plyometric training, you do have to have strength. Uh, and I know when I was growing up, it was always, you know, you have to have, be able to squat two times your body weight to do plyometrics. And I wouldn't agree with that. I think there's a, you know, a firm number where you have to be able to, you know, squat a certain amount um, and uh, and stuff. So, but but you do have to be strong. And so when I when I did my study and I was trying to get, um, you know, people uh, with a ground contact time under 250 milliseconds it was it was actually difficult to find research subjects um who could off a 30 centimeter box could you know land on the ground and jump with any height um with a ground contact time less than 250 milliseconds they were you know they would just land and pause it would just it would yeah just be too slow right um for what i was for and especially especially with uh you know i mean i was using a general college population for that study um, but on the for some of the females that I had in the study, I actually had uh, a few athletes mixed in, uh, not basketball players, but they were. I actually had a girl who was a competitive, um, uh, uh, not figure skater, but speed skater, um, you know, and w had been retired for one year, was still in phenomenal shape. She was racing bikes at that time, but um, you know, so I had some decent athletes, but they had a really hard time getting off the ground. Um, you know, and part of that was lack of strength. Right. Um, so if you're not if you're not strong enough, 
then you're going to be very compliant on your landing um, and you're not going to have the stiffness that's required to kind of bounce off the ground, um, you know, to, to reduce your ground contact time. Um, that being said, uh, most activities that children do have an element of plyometrics to them. So when right. children go out and play, play, they play hopscotch or sprinting, you know, these are, you know, I mean, plyometric activities, um, right. you know, and typically, you know, doing, playing the hopscotch is a low intensity plyometric right. um, versus doing, you know, a, a depth jump off a 30 centimeter or 40 centimeter box, which would be a much higher intensity. So, um, again, what you're doing, how you're going to program with a child, what they're going to benefit from is going to ultimately depend on who that child is, what their uh, training history is, what their, you know, strength level is, uh, you know, but I wouldn't say you can't do plyometrics with, uh, you know, children of any age because every child's running around and jumping right. and landing. And so sometimes forth. I think they're doing less of that now that the, the, the multi-sport sport athlete, I think they were doing it more 25 years ago than they are now. It seems like 10 year olds are picking one sport already. It's, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's definitely true. And then there's, and, and because of that, you know, there's probably, uh, you know, children today have a kind of a smaller uh, base of both strength and just general movement vocabulary. Uh, and that's one reason why we probably see more injuries. Right. Oh, I definitely. The division one guys, they couldn't, couldn't hardly skip. You know, they could hardly get the other hand going uh, opposite. I mean, it's crazy because they don't do that stuff when they're little. Um, yeah, I see that all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the narrowing of all these skills into just, you know, a single sport specific execution of that skill, um, you know, limits how you know the child learns and ultimately um you know when when there is some variation in the movement or some greater intensity or greater volume uh you know there's probably a greater chance that they break down you know and the load becomes greater than what they can tolerate and that's essentially an injury right. whether it becomes yeah. an, over, an overuse injury uh you know where the volume of of the load is greater than they can tolerate or whether it's an acute injury uh, you know, where, you know, maybe a girl lands from a layup and tears her ACL or something like that. Right. Okay. So I've got some basketball questions for you now. Um, okay, great. Uh, so, yeah. so, all right. If you could, uh, um, if you could only do three things at practice, what would they be and why? Uh, well, I'd play, I'd almost just say three on three. Um, and, and, Depends on how strict the three want to be. If every time I switch the rules uh, for a three-on-three -three game, then I'd probably pick three different three-on-three -three games. Hey, everybody, would... we're just – what a great interview so far. I hope you're really enjoying it. Um, we've got another, about another half hour coming up with Brian. I'm going to ask you if you're loving this, please go over and subscribe and like. Um, you know, leave us one of those hopefully five-star reviews. We would, we would surely appreciate that from, from the Coach Unplugged community. Um, if you're looking to become a Patreon of the arts, if you're looking to support us and you're not going to join teachhoops.com, which is what I would love you to do, you could go over and support if you have an, a, a podcast idea, if you want to be on the podcast, if you, um, if you have any sort of input anywhere, any sort of donation, 
um, go to www.patreon.com slash coach unplugged and make a donation. And uh, we would surely appreciate that. Um, so let's get back to Brian. Three on three games and that would be it. Okay. Um, if, I, if I can change the rules every time and that still only counts as one thing because it's just three on three play, right. uh, then, then I'd probably do a, uh, I'd probably play three on three most of the time. I'd I'd do a you know uh, find a favorite shooting drill and then a transition defense drill. Okay, um, I, I think three on three is the purest part of the basketball game. I mean, I I think kids should play three on three until they're in middle school. I think I mean they should play it their whole career. But um, I know in our program we don't play full court open gym. We play three on three because that you can't hide. It makes you work on your game. I just think it's it's a really pure part. I I one hundred percent agree with that. Uh, yeah. If you could, if you could go back to yourself as a younger coach, what would you tell yourself? Um, probably to be more patient. Not not necessarily with players, but um, in terms of uh, managing a career, um, I tend to be in a hurry. Um, and I want things to happen um, now. And so, and then the second part of that is, is understanding that, especially with regards to the college basketball business or even the professional basketball business, the, the thing that matters most is who you know. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter how, how good you are or what you know, or it's, it all comes down to relationships and uh, you know, knowing somebody that's in a position to hire you for a job, um, something that I didn't learn until it was, you know, to a certain extent too late. Uh, right. it, it, it's crazy. So that, I, I mean, I have a, I have a former division one assistant on my staff and he says the most important weekend of the year is the final four. Cause that's when you make all your connections. Um, but yeah. he, says that, he says that's number one. Number two is when you're out recruiting um, because it's all about, you know, John gets a job, he knows him, he knows her, blah, blah, blah. That's how you get a job. And uh, so the advice I always give coaches is you got to, you got to go out and network and you got to go work camps in the summer. Um, Cause that's when coaches kind of get to know you and get in some of those young coaches working camps eventually becomes head coaches who will eventually look to fill their staff out so on and so forth. But yeah, it's not the way it should yeah. be. But it's the way the world works in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same as any business. So, um, but yeah, I didn't realize that young enough. And, and, uh, so yeah, if I was talking to myself back, you know, when I was graduating for college or whatever, that's probably focus more on the relationships and don't worry so much about becoming a better coach. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, it's so backwards. Um, so in, in a paragraph or two, describe your coaching philosophy. Um, I guess my biggest thing is I really try to empower players and that's both on and off the court. Um, so I want the players to take ownership of, um, you know, the team and, you know, from, from the whole process. So whether that's, you know, like, like I met for the first time with my new team yesterday and we only have five returners. So, you know, didn't meet with very many people, but you know, that's, and that's one of the things I told them was, you know, uh, Cause we're, you know, they're almost in finals. So I didn't want to come in and from day one be like, all right, we're going to work out, you know, five days a week. And I have no idea what their school schedule is or what their commitments are or anything right now. So I was like, you know, you guys need to tell me how much do you guys want to work out? 
um, you know, how good do you want to be, you know, and once we get everybody in the fall, those are going to be, you know, to a certain extent, you know, my questions. And, you know, I still have a veto vote, but, uh, you know, I want them to be really invested in what we're doing and to take ownership and to really feel empowered that it's uh, our program and it's not my program. Uh, and then I carry that as much as possible onto the court as well. So, you know, I, I don't, I tend not to stand and scream a lot. Um, I, you know, I don't call plays. I let the players call plays, whether it's out of bounds or, uh, you know, half court play or transition offense, whatever we're going to run. I, I try to let them uh, call the play. You know, occasionally I'll see something and, and so I'll call something based on what I've seen from a previous play. Um, but generally I'm letting the, the players, I mean, I remember my first year when I was in Sweden, one of my, my, when I was coaching in Sweden, the first tight game we had, I called timeout and I brought him over. I was like, all right, what do you guys want to run? Right. You know, and they're like, they looked at me because nobody had really ever asked them that, you know, and, and I was like, look, you know, we have five plays. I want, you know, you guys have been out there. What do you guys have the most confidence in right now that's going to get us the shot that we need, uh, you know, to get a basket right here? And they're like, oh, okay, okay, and run Arizona, run Arizona. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Go. Right. You know, and so that's that's kind of uh, you know how I coach is I I really try to get feedback from the players and and see my role as somebody who's really trying to uh, assist them or work for the players as opposed to more of a domineering role where they're working for me. Right, and I and I and I, I don't know. This is maybe with me getting older too, but. I ask that question a lot. I'll ask it in timeouts. I'll ask it in 30 seconds. And, of course, it's going back to what you said. I have the veto vote, but I want their input because they are seeing things differently than I am. Um, I'm worried about substitutions. I'm worried about who's tired. I'm worried about whether they're – I'm watching 85 different things. They're not. Um, and this is the first year I actually had my point. We usually meet as a coaching staff before I go back to the huddle. This year I actually had my point guard come in, my, in the coaching huddle with me um, and give uh-huh. him input before we went back to the whole team. And that helps so much because he obviously has the ball in his hands. He's seeing things differently. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's, I would say that's probably pretty similar to my, you know, it's it's our program. What are we going to do? Um, obviously, yeah. there's times where we got to make decisions. But um, if you could talk to one coach for an hour, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. Um one coach. Living, I assume. Does it? No, it doesn't have to be. It can be any sport, too. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with Wooden. I mean, I had a chance to meet him very briefly because I went to UCLA for undergrad. Um, and so at that time, I used to talk to psychology classes every year. Okay. Um, so my friend brought me to her psychology class the day that he was you know, going to speak, um, you know, so I met him for like two minutes. Right. Um, so I'd probably say, I'd probably say, uh, I'd probably say wooden, um, you know, I'd also think about, uh, somebody like, um, uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I pick Stevens. I, would, I, would, I think Brad Stevens' mind thinks unlike other people. I would, 
Yeah, I've actually been in his office and talked to him a little bit. Um, I would, uh, I'd be curious to meet with um, somebody like Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho. I'm not necessarily huge fans of theirs, um, but I do think it would be interesting, um, you know, to speak with them. And then the other, the other person I was thinking of, and honestly don't know his name, but uh, the All Blacks coach. Because uh, I read Legacy about the All Blacks, um, James Kerr I think wrote it, uh, and it's a phenom- it's a phenomenal book. So um, somebody like that, you know, I'd probably think about a couple, you know, different people. I would I probably would be most interested in speaking to somebody um, almost on kind of the organizational aspect of, of running a really. Uh, you know, high-performing, constantly high-performing uh, organization that, and especially one that uh, has turnover in players and personnel. Uh, you know, so um, that'd probably be who I would, at this point right now, would would want to talk to. Okay. Um, do you have any superstitions? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, a lot of coaches have superstitions. Uh, if you could do only do one offense and one defense for an entire game, what would you do? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think that's all I do anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd probably, uh, you know, I mean, I, I tend to start either with um, uh, pistol or kind of like um, was it Spurs motion week? Okay. You know, those tend to be basic offenses, so I'd probably go with one of those two, depending on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just, with, with ideal personnel, I'd play man defense and I'd switch everything. Yep. But that, the, uh, the, I think the key to that that answer is that you got to have the right personnel to do that. I love man too, but sometimes you just. Definitely. We had to play a matchup yeah, this year, and, you know, we just couldn't no match yeah. up. Yeah. Um, what do you think the biggest change in basketball has been in the last 15 or 20 years? Uh, I'm probably the, you know, the um, use of the three-point line. I would say both both the use of the three-point line and uh, not being able to hand check. And to a certain extent, I think they go together. And why do you think they go together? Um, because by spacing out the court, because everybody acknowledges the importance of the three-point line, you give so much more room to penetration. And then consequently, because you can't really guard somebody because you can't hand check at all, you have to, you know, pick your poison, you know, whether you're going to help or whether you're going to stick on shooters. Uh, And so I think, you know, if I think it, I think the three point line or the emphasis on the three point line might be slightly different if you could uh, hand check more because you'd be able to keep uh, players out of the paint a little bit better, yeah. uh, and so you wouldn't have to help off shooters as much. Um, and on the same side, if we were still you know in the 1980s where teams were shooting 10 three pointers a game, well it didn't wouldn't, wouldn't matter as much if you could hand check or not because you could have you know, four defensive players basically, you know, standing right around the key and forcing the ball out to 
you know, 17 foot jump shots. Um, so I I do think they go together a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I think that's why kids don't shoot mid range jumpers anymore. The cost benefits not there for them. Um, and they don't work on it. Um, so maybe maybe this is related, but if you could change one thing about basketball, what would it be? Uh, the change I would make would be I would have um, the youngest players uh, starting with three on three basketball and and using appropriate size baskets and appropriate size chips. Um, I just think I just think too many um, too many leagues, too many age groups, uh, you know, too many organizations start too early with players and have them either playing five on five and, or have them on 10 foot hoops, you know, when maybe they're in, you know, second grade, you know, and have them using, you know, usually a woman's ball, but that's still too big for, you know, especially first or second grader, they should be using, you know, a 27.5, not a 28 and a half, right. um, or even our basketball. Um, and so to me, that would be, that'd be the change that I would make is, um, you know, all children, you know, assuming they're going to start the game somewhere between, you know, five and eight years old, but all children, uh, start on, uh, lowered hoop with a small basketball, um, you know, and playing three on three or even two on two. Uh, and like you said, not move to five on five until, you know, probably fifth or sixth grade. Right. And I didn't uh, let my son shoot threes until he was in seventh grade. Cause he wasn't strong enough. I wasn't going to, I mean, I'm going to still have to yeah. shot down a couple of times, but I was not going to, um, I was not going to break it down six times. So, uh, yeah, cause he wasn't strong enough. I mean, and all his friends are popping threes and it's like, great. Yeah. They're shooting from the hip cause they can't it'd be like me shooting on a 15 foot hoop, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So some rapid fire questions. Um, these are real quick. What's your favorite basketball? My favorite basketball? Yeah. Um, Wilson Solution. Okay. I haven't had that one. Uh, one word to describe your ideal player? Shooter. Lost start. Um, one sporting event. You can go to one sporting event anywhere in the world. What would it be? Oh. Um... Man, I'd probably go to a World Cup final. Oh, that would be wild. Especially, yes. Um, uh, do, do, where am I? Oh, what's your favorite pregame meal? Steak. That's been that's been said a couple of times. Uh, one thing you do to relax? Um, probably take a nap, read a book. Okay. Uh, best player you have seen in person? Uh, well, I actually – I was at LeBron James' uh, first game in the NBA, so I'd probably say that. Uh, that'd probably be pretty good. Uh, best player of all time? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to say MJ, but I kind of do say LeBron James. Yeah, I've had a lot of MJs, but I I think LeBron's going to pass him. I mean, if he hasn't already. Um, one thing that that helped you become a better coach. Um, 
uh, one thing that's hard. I mean, I, I really do think, um, you know, coaching players who, you know, didn't speak English coaching, um, players who are deaf. And I think, uh, you know, coaching in Europe, um, and just seeing the, the different kind of, you know, different style of play and everything. I think those are why I tend to coach differently. I think. Okay. Best game you've seen in person. Oh, that's easy. Uh, UCLA's 19, um, was it 1990? What year did we win the national championship? 94 national championship. Oh, you were there at the national championship game? 95. It was my senior year of high school. Yeah. 95 in Seattle. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that, so that was the best camp. Yeah. Well, you can't top that one. Well, um, one, one word to describe your coaching style. Oh, one word. Um, player friendly. If that's hyphenated. Okay. We'll give, we'll give, we'll give that to you. Uh, one book you'd recommend. What, what? One book that you would recommend. We're not going to recommend you. We're going to talk about yours in a second, but one book you would recommend. Um, it's, well, I usually recommend Mindset by Carol Dweck to parents and coaches. And then I also really recommend um, The Art of Learning by uh, Josh Waitzkin. Mindset's a great book. It's, it's hard not to have a fixed mindset. It really is. Um, yeah. All right, so let's. We're going to end here with. Uh, let's talk about. You have some books. We'll put all this stuff in the in the show notes that we're just going to talk about now. I'll put those two books in the in the um, show notes too, so people that are listening to this can find this stuff. But tell us about your books, some stuff you have. Um, you know how people can get a hold of you, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of my books are on Amazon now, so they're fairly easy to find. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean. I've written about 20 books now, um, going back, uh, you know, over the last, really over the last decade now, I guess, I wrote 20 books, um, you know, on, on various things, kind of, you know, everything from kind of the first one was crossover, the new model of youth basketball development, which is a, you know, kind of a longer book that uh, was a little bit based on uh, the long-term athlete development model that's been popularized in Canada and elsewhere, um, uh, Isfem Bali's model. Right. Um, and so I, I just kind of tried to apply it to basketball and especially basketball in the U.S. Uh, because because things in the U.S. are based on you know the high school and the school system and not on age groups. Right. Um, so some of the ways that plans in other countries are outlined, you know, are based on, you know, under 19s kind of being the last, uh, you know, age group, whereas, you know, that doesn't necessarily work with, uh, you know, a high school timeline. Um, right. Although as more players stay back or redshirt in high school, it's starting to become the same. But, um, you know, so, so anyway, so, I, you know, it's, a, it's a divided into four kind of, State basic or general stages, phases, um, and three different skill groups. And then I think in the last edition I wrote, I added a fourth. So it's technical, athletic, tactical, and psychological skills. 
you know, there's lots of drills and different things, and I kind of go through, you know, the different stages with the different skills. Um, right. So it ends up being a fairly long and fairly involved book. Um, you know, and then, you know, the, the more recent books that I wrote are more uh, based on a lot of motor learning concepts and practice design, you know, 21st century basketball practice, obviously. Um, it's, it's basically about how to run a practice, how to design drills, what's important, so on and so forth, you know, how to give feedback, how not to give feedback, when to give feedback, things like that. Um, and then I kind of have lots of things in between, you know, book on perimeter skills, shooting, um, you know, the fake fundamentals books, um, stuff like that. So okay. um, most, most topics have been, have been touched in some regard and in, in at least one of the books. Great. Great. So I'll make sure I put those on the show note, show notes. And I really appreciate you taking the time tonight to talk to us. All right. Great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Hey, everybody. I hope you really enjoyed today's podcast. I know how much I have. Um, I want you to go over and, and take two minutes and check over teachhoops.com. You know, it's an essential resource for anybody that wants to be a better coach. It's like I was saying at the beginning of this podcast, you know, it's what you need to, to win championships, to, to understand this great game. It is something I would want both as a consumer and as a, as a coach. Um, go check that out. Um, you get a 14 day free trial. You can, you know, I love when I can do that because it's not, I'm always get risky about putting my credit card in, but if you don't like it, I'll, we'll refund it right away and, and you're good to go. Um, also, if you're liking these podcasts, I ask you to go over and subscribe and like, you know, we really do appreciate those reviews. Those five stars really help us no matter what you're listening to. And on what doesn't matter if you're on Stitcher, if you're on iTunes, whatever you're on, wherever you're listening to this podcast, we would really appreciate a review. And until next week, remember, keep your head up, keep your elbows out, and always look down the courts. Have a great week. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.